Hello, um, my name's James Griffiths, of course. Usually we, we start this podcast quite jovial and quite, we try and have a light-hearted look at what's going on in football, but it would be remiss for us not to spend a few moments to talk about two gentlemen who sadly passed away since we did the last podcast. First of which, Peter Bates, long-time committee member at Matlock, somebody who was, who was just so well-known, well-respected, not only in non-league football, but also in grassroots football. He has a great history with Brampton Rangers. And he's, he's somebody who's, that was just, he loved his football, but more than his football, he loved his, his family. I remember, I can't remember for the life of me which game it was, but we uh, when I was in my teenage years, which wasn't that long ago, I know I look a lot older, but... Um, Peter was kind enough to give me a lift to a game. He lived quite local to me, um, which was two or three hours away. And Peter at the time, I think he was, must have been in his 60s, bless him. And he, he drove us all the way there, watched game, drove us all the way back. I'm in a tune wagon, as we do. And he, he, he drops, drops me off at my house. So I said, oh, Peter, what, what are you up to this afternoon? And he says, oh, I'm... Uh, with my grandsons, I says, oh, you, you know, thinking, are oh, you going to be going to a restaurant or are you going to be spending some time around family? And he said, no, I'm, I'm going to pick them up. I'm driving to Wales now because they've got a rugby tournament. And that just totally embellished how much love Peter had for his family, that he, he was somebody who would go the extra mile, not only for the club, but for his loved ones and he, he will be a, a big miss to Matt Lockdown and our thoughts and love go out to his family at this what could only be described as the most difficult of times secondly sadly we have to report that um, the passing of Marcus Beddow Marcus previously played for Matt Lockdown's CFA he played for the academy sides reserve sides adapt to either centre back or striker um, sadly, I didn't get to spend much time around Marcus. The time I did spend, he came across as a very intelligent, kind-hearted person who loved his football. And since his passing was announced, just the outpouring of love from people who knew him from school, people who knew him from the, the footballing world. He was somebody that was clearly well-loved, well-respected and... 25 is just, you know, it's it's no age at all for somebody to no longer be with us. So we, we send our most sincere thoughts, prayers, and, and just love to the family of Marcus Beddow. And for those, if you want to help his family, I know Clipston FC, who were his last side prior to his passing, have set up a GoFundMe on their Twitter page. Uh, I believe it's on their website as well. You can go find that out. I know any donations would be really appreciated to help Marcus's family at what can be an unimaginably painful time for them. Um, we will we now roll on with the podcast as normal, but we we just wanted to take a few moments to remember two great men.
Welcome back to Keep Off The Fence podcast. Joining me at this time is a man who has threatened to break away and form his own podcast, Super League. It's Matthew Rhodes. Matt, how are you, mate? Uh, all good until that joke. Um, <laughs> it's It was good, but it's it's already out of date. You, do you, are you aware the European Super League lasted about 36 glorious hours? It lasted about as almost as long as I lasted in a charity game. We played Derby County Veterans for Matlock. Paid 50 quid foot pleasure. Uh, as, as you can tell, I'm um, a lot of people, I say I've got a body of a god, and they say that god's Buddha. So <laughs> I lasted all of all of five minutes, but I didn't have to put a good challenge in. So me and the Super League, we're, we're kindred spirits in that regard. But you're right, Matt, it is out of date content. However, I wrote that intro. I don't, can't believe it. I wrote it down, yeah. Um, a few weeks ago, well, last week to be exact, of course, we were not here. Well, we were here. I, I live in my house, Matt lives in his house, but we weren't on the podcast because of the social media boycotts by the FA and the teams in regards to the abuse problem that is cropping up on social media more and more. We're going to talk about that, talk about the implications of the Super League, because I tell you, I don't feel that you, our listeners, will have had enough Super League content. You know, and me and Matt are going to try and find new angles to come at the whole Super League agenda. We'll break it down. We'll talk about the boycott. And then me and Matt, we're going to go shopping. We're going to find stuff to put in our basket. And we're going to see what we think Matlock Town needs, to, the positions they need to strengthen ahead of the new season. Mate, will there be some controversial takes? Well, you'll have to wait and see. But to go back to Matt, we, well, I was going to say we've not spoken in three weeks, but that gives the impression that we only see each other on the podcast. Um, how How's life treating you, mate? Yeah, uh, pretty good. Just sort of, um, kind of at the stage where, you know, I'm getting by because we're getting at the, fun part of you know the end of the football campaign obviously as uh, well when this podcast goes out we'll we'll know who's been relegated from the championship as it stands as I'm saying it's changing all the time uh so um yeah stuff like that's uh getting me through and um yeah just obviously on the non-league perspective it is quiet which is you know understandable Given we're still a few months off yet uh, from uh, you know pre-season starting, but uh, but yeah, we're um, getting there. I'm also kind of, I think what will get me through the next month is uh, hopefully England's doing well in the Euros through maybe just through Phil Foden just himself. But uh, but yeah, in fact, I think you just alerted me there, James. I was going to mention it at some point as well because um well as it stands uh well I would say this is relevant to Matlock because Matlock you know for a lot of people are their sort of second team their main non-league team because a lot of Wednesday supporters um will also go and watch Matlock games and a lot of Derby supporters will also have a soft spot for Matlock and will go and watch games so Rotherham are winning 
one nil at half time. Uh, but there's also been a very recent goal from, from Hutchinson. And it's not good news for Wayne Rooney because uh, Chef Wednesday are now beating Derby 1-0 on the stroke of half-time. So with 45 minutes to go, let me just quickly check the table. I'm pretty sure it'd be Rotherham staying up. It just. is currently, yes. Um, just. Uh, Rotherham need to win now. If they don't, it, as things stand, it would be Chef Wednesday staying up. So yeah. we're, we're definitely at the business end of the proceedings, the season. Always super exciting. I am so gutted we're not getting that in Matlock's League. I love the business end of the season. I love talking, you know, um, I think a few seasons back, Matlock, we, you know, in recent years, we've we've not found ourselves in playoff races. We've flirted with the relegation zone a few times and there's no quite feeling like going into the game and like, teams got to win this. Just got to win this. this is a huge game. And just those nerves, it's what makes football that huge adrenaline rush. And it's it's just so much fun. So, yeah, you will know. I've not been to, like, a game, like a, like a final game of the season for ages, where it's like there's been, like, loads riding on it. Because I saw um, on social media this morning, I think it's like, well, what year was it, 2004? So 17 years ago, it were like on this day, Chesterfield stayed up on the very last day of the season. And I think that's the only time I've ever actually been at a game on a final day where, you know, it was um, like a relegation decider where the team had to win and other results had to go your way. And incredibly, it did. And it was weird because well, I was watching it and like the roar of the crowd you just forget how much of a difference it makes. Because obviously if there weren't a crowd at that time, I probably don't think Chesterfield would have stayed up that season. It's just the difference it makes when you've got a a, a, a crowd actually behind you and really roaring you on and properly celebrating when you stay up. Uh, yeah, it's just you forget how, uh, how, much, how important it is. Football with fans. I cannot wait for that. Um, we had a lads interview, I think interviewed myself and interviewed Matt from uh, Derbyshire, Derbyshire, Derby Uni, I should say. Mm. Um, yeah. He was asking us like the impacts not having fans in and how good it'll be to have them back in and things of that nature. So when we were talking about it, and it's just like, it's just what sort of thing have you missed? And, you know, I sort of didn't realise for this pandemic how big of a part the social aspect of going to the football was, the community aspect, the, yeah. you know, meeting up with yourself, Matt, meeting up with my friend Ian, meeting up with numerous others, having a few drinks, having a bit of chat, having a having a lot and just been, you know, it bookends that week. So the fact that, and you know, fingers, toes and anything else that can be crossed we are hopefully heading towards a more positive outlook when it comes to the COVID-19 situation. I'm not um, a scientist, so I'm, I'm not going to proclaim I know how things are going, but at the minute, the seas are looking a bit calmer. Now, hopefully, come, Ju- uh, come the end of June, July, we'll have a list of pre-season friendlies, can get excited. Of course, this 
podcast will be easier to make because there'll be more stuff to talk about that Matt we're looking forward to. So it's it's an exciting time. Things are ramping up again, and that's something that I think we can all take a positive in. So um, if you have as well, sat and listened to these when a lot of the time we, we realise these episodes have had to be a bit fillerish because there isn't much going on, but we wanted to keep bringing you content because we feel for some people, especially having that release, having been able to have a bit of a, you know, interact, have a bit of a chat and have a bit of football. It, it, it's so good. And I think it does us all good when it comes to our mental health and things like that to have something to look forward to. So speaking of things, though, to look forward to, there's something we're going to go on to now that neither of us were looking forward to. But not only neither of us, the majority of football was vehemently against, and that is the so-called European Super League. Now, we're not going to come at you with any sort of hot takes here, mainly because um, the European Super League itself is now stone cold. It's got mould on it and someone's chucked it in the bin and it's now at the recycling centre. But that's how podcasting works. Sometimes there's a long gap. We can't cover everything. But even though that has been and gone now, it doesn't look like it's going to take place. Um, I feel, and we'll get Matt's thoughts on this in a minute, whether he agrees, disagrees with me. I feel it's sort of damage done. I feel there's a, there's a lot of swirling anger at the minute. There's a lot of sort of dismay at how football at the top level is treated. Um, I put out some tweets on the Matlock Town social media that went um, pretty viral, which I was not expecting. And probably given the current climate, things going viral is not great. You know, you don't want to catch a case of the tweets. But, the, you know, people are impassioned. And it's, it's going to be interesting going forward now how that affects non-league. Will that, um, when non-league football comes back, will we see an upturn in attendances in non-league? Or is it a case of people, of course, people have short memories, people move on to the next big controversy or news story? Is it something that will just be forgotten? Where do you stand on this, Matt? Um, I have a horrible feeling it will kind of be forgotten. Maybe not like in the next few weeks, but as um, as the next few years go by, because if if there's not enough of like a proper punishment for what happens to the teams that try to do this, I can just see something similar happening in a few years' time where something like this is tried again. But the difference being that they'll actually plan it a lot better and they'll actually market it a lot better. Because I think it was obvious that guys like Florentino Perez, Real Madrid's owner, um, and the guy for Juventus as well, who I can't remember the name of. Um, obviously, we're just kind of like, they just thought if we put out the idea, then, you know, TV companies will do it. They'll offer crazy amounts of money. And they were probably expecting backlash, but I don't think they were expecting anywhere near the level of backlash that it got. Like, that was, that was obvious. Um, and yeah, and they looked 
very, very foolish for not even actually properly planning this thing. But if they don't get properly punished, then um, something like this will just happen again, I think, in a few years' time. And if they'll, the people who want to do it will actually plan it better this time so that something more is actually in place. Um, so that's my worry with it. I think the latest is that um, in terms of the English clubs that got involved with it initially is that they're going to get fines, large fines, and the money will be distri- distributed to grassroots, apparently. Well, so, I'll, I'll just jump in, Matt, quickly. Um, I was just looking up, if you heard any clicking, I was just looking for the exact amounts um, I've ended up on the Gailey Mail website so my browser's going to have to have a serious scrub after this <laughs> podcast session but I'd, I got a very um, lackadaisical for lack of a better term uh, FedEx ad with Michael Owen uh, pop up on the screen at the same time which was scary um, but to go back to the topic in hand uh, the Daily Mail are reporting that the Big Six will give uh, be given financial sanctions by UEFA for Super League plans clubs are uh, to pay 13 million to gra- uh, grassroots charities as well as some of their European revenue. And the six English clubs will also be punished by the Premier League. Yeah. And it, that's good. Obviously, it's not just going to be like a paltry £10,000 fine, like, you know, you see UEFA give to nations whose supporters give racist abuse and stuff like that that we've seen over the last few years which obviously makes no difference whatsoever but um yeah it i feel like it has to be more than that though i genuinely think um i don't know i might i might get a lot of criticism for this but i do think there should be points deductions for it um so i think for some people that might sound a bit extreme and i know some people say well yeah but the the fans don't deserve that, which is true, obviously. But when you look at what other clubs, non non elite clubs, are punished for, you know, they so say for example, clubs like Berry and Macclesfield Macclesfield Town, which doesn't exist officially anymore, is now a new team just called Macclesfield. Their club went down because their owner just treated the club like a toy and spending money that they just did not have, and then they couldn't afford to play anyone's wages, and they get a huge points deduction. That ended up taking them down, and then they ended up going out of business. And it's like, it's not not the fans' fault then, but they broke the rules, and they were the consequences for them. And loads of teams have had points, like Sheffield Wednesday, uh, have had a points deduction, which could very well mean that they end up getting relegated. If it weren't for that points deduction, Chef Wednesday would be safe. And it's not the fans' fault. So, um, yeah, there, there, need, there needs to be something, in my, in my opinion, that is more than just a fine. That's, that's fine for them to be a fine placed. Because, and, and it's good that it be distribu- distributed to the non-league game and grassroots and stuff like that and the youth side of the, of the sport. But it, it has to be something put in place to make sure these clubs never try anything like this again because they are breaking the rule because there is a rule to say, like, you, you can't um, say 
we're going to enter this new com- competition. If you want to do something like that, then you have to write to the Premier League to say, this is what we intend to do. And obviously they didn't do that. They did it all behind the Premier League's backs. So they have broken a rule and it has damaged the integrity of the sport. So they, I, I do genuinely think there should be points deductions and it should be placed for the start of next season. How many points? I don't know. I don't think it'll happen because I don't think they've got the, the bottle to do it. Um, so I think it will just be a fine. But when other clubs are punished, you know, for things where their owners are doing stupid stuff, the fans have to take the punishment as well. But, you know, you, you, your elite clubs, super, super league clubs, will not get the same sort of consequences. It'll just be it'll just be a large fine, which in the grand scheme of things won't really affect the club. So basically a roundabout way of saying I'm quite cynical about where it's going to go. Because I, I just feel like if there's not a proper, proper punishment to say you can't do this ever again, you've done a lot of damage to the sport, it's just going to get tried again in a few years and they'll plan it better this time. The the thing that frustrated me as well was how cowardly it it was done. It was announced, yeah. you know, towards midnight on Saturday. It they and they, they seem totally oblivious, the owners of these, you know, elite sides. This they seem totally oblivious to the fact that this would get any sort of blowback. Now, as, as you mentioned, we've seen clubs at Matlock's level wound up uh, a couple thousand pounds, you know, and that that's, you know, rules are rules for a reason. And, you know, clubs have to remain solvent and they have to pay what they can pay. But when you look at, you know, they say money is power and you look at these bigger teams and it feels to a degree like they've flaunted the rules. So there needs to be a big time punishment because it, something like this needs to be quelled from not happening again. And we're seeing a lot of, you know, supporters of clubs talk out. We've seen the, the events that happened um, prior to the Manchester United versus Liverpool game didn't go ahead. Mm. Um, we've seen protests at Arsenal, protests at Chelsea. It, it's going to be interesting for me whether those supporters who have become disenfranchised with football at the Premier League level, whether that will drop into non-league, whether that will boost attendances for your Matlocks, for your Michelovers, for your South Shields, teams of that ilk. Because a lot of people came to me and said how they felt that this was the death of football, how their love for the game had basically had put a stake through its heart. And it's frustrating to hear people think that the only option for football is the Premier League, because it's not. We've got such a fantastic pyramid in England, that the football pyramid, it's, there's no, nothing else like it in the world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I, I, yeah, sorry. Sorry, James. You're right, mate. Um, so, you know, and I implore people, you're probably busy, you know, league club, if you're already listening to this podcast. But tell your friends, tell your family members, you know, ask them to come down to a game with you because non-league football is great. And I'll tell you now, 
the players that that looks helpful, they are on thousands of pounds a week. A lot of them, I've known managers in the past, you know, players in the past, that not necessarily Matlock, but all the clubs who just play for basically all they get is the money for the travel and such. But after every game, if you come to a Matlock game, you, we go in the bar after, the players are there, the manager's there. It's, it's that community ilk. You're not seen as a number or a letter. You're not put in a category. We're not coming to you seeing how much cash that can be milked from you. You're not seen as a consumer. You're seen as part of our community. And it's really important to us as fans of a club it, to feel wanted. The club, in, in my experience, has always gone the extra mile when it comes to helping others. And to see so many people so disenfranchised now with the elite game, it's, it's going to be really interesting when we get back those first pre-season friendlies, whether there'll be an uptick in the attendance. I sincerely hope so. But I think like you said, Matt, it's people have very um, quick to forget things that have happened. Um, prior to starting this podcast, Matt said to me when I mentioned the Super League, he's like, oh, that feels like ages ago. It's only about like two, three weeks, but yeah. we live in a, a world, especially with social media, that moves so quickly. There's so much happening. There's always something else that, you know, people want to get talking about. They want to share their thoughts on it, whether it be sport, whether it be politics, whether it be a, a news event that's going on. So I'm glad that fans of these clubs are still protesting. I'm glad that fans are saying to the elite level game, no, we want our game back. You know, the football belongs to the people. It doesn't belong to a group of billionaires. And hopefully going forward now, it will bring long-term change. Hopefully it will affect how clubs are looked at, clubs are treated. And hopefully it will, you know, will when people, when the next non-league team is struggling for money and, you know, one of your top six clubs has paid the latest striker 300k a week and even a quarter of that would save said club. It would be interesting if there's more outrage at, that these things are still happening. Yeah, did they need to keep the pressure on. They do need to keep the pressure on because, well, apart from obviously the Man U supporters who, you know, started wrecking stuff like that guy who um, threw a camera onto the pitch and broke, broke it. I mean, obviously stuff like that isn't isn't good at all because there's every chance that was probably a freelance photographer who's not part of the problem. He's He's just there doing his job so uh, or her job it, it's it's it they're not part of the problem it's you know it, it's it's your tv companies that uh that that just they don't see it as a sport anymore they see you as you know all these people as legacy fans not not your the fans exactly that they particularly want anymore so but i am optimistic that um that what will happen will genuinely be good for 
the non-league game. I really, really am. Because I think people are genuinely really angry with what's happened, as like you've seen with the Man U supporters. Like obviously, apart from you know, stuff being broke and stuff like that, I, I, I have every sympathy for them. And, you know, they were right to protest it. And some people said, well, you know, you shouldn't be disrupting games. But if they literally just stood around the stadium and did some chant saying Glazers out, it's not going to do anything. I mean, it's very civil, but it's not going to do anything. Well, by, them, by them actually, you know, doing something and actually stopping a broadcaster like whether I think it was Sky or Sky or BT Sport, actually stopping them from broadcasting the game, so actually damaging them and annoying them, it will actually do, it will have a higher chance of making a difference and making a statement because that's an actual proper protest and not just a half-baked, you know, uh, half-protest, which, you know, just isn't really going to do anything, but... But yeah, I think it will be good for non-league because because there's every area of England and the UK will have football teams at some sort of level. So, especially like in terms of like Matlock, people are probably fed up with. Well, there will be a lot of Wednesday fans who are fed up with how the club is run and how it's owned, regardless of if they stay up. By the way, it's one-one as we speak now, so uh, it's getting even tighter. But and Derby fans are fed up because this takeover that was meant to be happening isn't happening again now. And they're now in free fall again as to what happens, regardless of whether they stay up or not today. People are getting fed up and they are realising that there are closer teams, that well, teams that are still local to them, like, you know, Matlock or, you know, for Sheffield Wednesday fans like Sheffield FC or for Derby fans like Michelover. There are close teams still within, you know, uh, within half an hour's driveway or walk away that is far more affordable and it's still decent, decent football. Um, so, yeah, but I will break away. I'm, I'm, I'm being told from my sources that Derby County have now turned it around completely and are now two on up, which would mean, uh, regardless of what Rotherham do, I think. Wayne Rooney would be keeping them up, I think, by one point. Uh, I believe... It's changing be, every second. That must be two goals in two minutes. I believe it's, yeah, it's by two points they'd stay up. But to go back to what we're saying, and it, it's something that irks me a lot, is that people sit there and go, oh, well, this isn't the right way to protest. And I want to be unequivocally clear, uh, clear with what I'm saying here. If you go to a protest, don't damage people's things. Don't be a dick. There's no need for it. Be respectful to other people. But, you know, people say, oh, well, Man U supporters should have done that. Man U supporters should have done this. Man U supporters, ever since the Glazers got involved with the club in 2005, have been against that regime. They, they've voiced, they've protested. They've protested at games. They've had the green and gold sort of community outreach. They even set up their own fan club, which are in Matlock's League, FC United and Manchester. They have done everything that was said to be by the book when it comes to protesting. 
and still they were ignored. And it's it's sad that things did come to a head in the way they did. But until there is change, there's going to be a lot of anger. And I feel like what happened with the Super League, especially, is only spurring that anger on now. My worry, however, is I really don't want to see fan bases going, right, well, we, we need to start one-upping each other and trying to, like, and it lead to somebody getting hurt or somebody, you know, stuff getting broken, because there's no need for that. Yeah. There's no need at all. But football, it's the national sport. There's a very much a passionate feel about it. And not only is there a passionate feel about football, as we've seen recently with the social media boycott that we all took part in, um, myself, I took part in it, I believe Matthew took part in it, and the club took part in it. Um, and I want to preface this by saying both me and Matt are both white males. So I'm not going to sit here and go, I know it's like to be racially abused. I know what I see as racist and what isn't that that's not what this is about. And I, I would like at some point for us to, to talk with some of the, the Matlock players about the whole social media abuse, because it happens at non-league level as well as at the elite level. Um, we, we all had some time away. I've got to admit, I found taking the four days away from social media quite refreshing for me personally. Um it's you find you get stuck in that world and it can be knowing when to turn off, whether it's for your, you know, your mental health or your physical health is such a big thing. But we've, we've seen some disgusting comments in the game that have been put towards mostly black players you know, you, in the women's game, you get a lot of sexist comments. You get a lot of horrible comments. I, it repulses me to even repeat them, so I'm not going to repeat the sort of things. But you can imagine. And my question to Matt here is, we've had this boycott. Within a few days, uh, there was another case of a player getting racially abused over Instagram, I believe. Do you feel that these social media companies are doing enough or do you feel they could be doing more to put a stop to these ongoing abuses? And if so, how do you feel would be the best way to implement further change? Uh, well, first of all, no, they're not doing enough. And as, as yeah, there's loads more that, that needs to be done. And um, I get, because uh, I like, I get. I mean, I I agreed that that boycott should happen to see if it made a difference. So I was more than happy to do it, and then uh, take part in it. As did you know, Matlock and you know, practically every every other uh, club in the UK did. But um, it's probably not going to make any difference, which is hard to say. But it isn't. And it, it's it's not it, that that's not just being cynical. I genuinely think that's just being realistic because, as good as the intentions were, it's not it. 
I don't think that's going to be enough, like a, a social media boycott of, what, three days. I don't think it's going to be enough to actually say to the big wigs at sites like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, to actually do something about it and to properly police it better. Because as he said, like within hours of that boycott ending or even as as the boycott was going on, I can't remember what team it were, but this player got racially abused over Instagram or whatever. And, you know, that guy will probably have his account suspended maybe for like a day. Or even if they get their account blocked, they'll just they'll just open a brand new account from using a different email address. It's too easy for them to get around it. Um, so, yeah, there's loads more that needs to be done. I think the social media boycott, it, it was a good idea, genuinely, and the right intentions were there. But has it succeeded? No, I don't think it has, unfortunately. Uh, and But there's only so much that people can do. There is only so much that like people in our position, I think, can do. And it ultimately, it has to be getting the you know big people at these sites to actually do something. I think the only way around that is if you start implementing huge fines, hit them where it will actually hurt the most, which is financially. So you got to say to the people, look, if if you if you're not doing things, if you're not doing things where like you've got to authenticate yourself to have a social media account. So you can't just make up an email address that you never use again and you know your profile picture's an egg or, you know, a cartoon character that you can hide behind. You've actually got to authenticate yourself. So a basic form of ID, because if you have, if you can be clearly identified, that's going to cut down a huge amount of people that will just randomly say awful, awful stuff, hate crime stuff, uh, because they know there would actually be consequences then. Um, so, yeah, they, there's got to be stuff where you you got to hit them hard and say if you don't have anything in place like that by this date whatever then you're going to get fined because you're not doing anything about hate crimes that 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 happening and you know people are growing up young kids are growing up that will not I mean they should know better but they clearly don't they clearly don't know any better and they genuinely are growing up obviously not everyone but there are a minority of people that will grow up thinking it's fine for me to say to this player, you know, all sorts of horrible, horrible crap because I'm not going to get much consequences and it makes me feel good for a bit to take out my frustrations because my life isn't very good and I'm going to take out my insecurities on this player because I know I'm not going to see them in person. So, you know... I'm very. I'm more. I'm a lot more uh, optimistic that something will happen, like in terms of stopping something like a European Super League happening again, because something got done about that within 36 hours, because it hit people like Sky and BT Sport and the Premier League. It hit them financially. It hit them where it hurt. So something got done within 36 hours with the social media boycott. There's good intentions, but it's not. There's nothing being done to hurt them where it hurts the most, financially, and so that's why 
nothing really is going to change with social media abuse until something like that happens, unfortunately. And I have to say, and I, I cannot be more clear with this, if you hold any sort of racist view, if you feel that a certain race, certain ethnicity is worse than you, then we don't want you in our community, our football family. We, we don't want that. Because those views not only have no place in football, they have no place in society in 2021. And there's always going to be a few idiots. But it... <laughs> It's getting that clamped down. It's making people who say these horrible things and act this way. And I, I think there used to be more education as well for how hurtful these things are. And I know um, Matlock Town player coach, Cade Coppin, uh, he put some wonderful tweets up on social media, uh, how he felt about the boycott, how he felt about how these uh tech conglomerates were sort of reacting to abuse on social media and he he basically summarised they weren't doing enough and it's, it's hard to disagree with him now whether that will be um, some sort of identification system, I, I don't know, I'm not going to sit here and claim I'm smart enough to have all the answers to an age-old problem, because I'm not. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I know how to make things better, but I feel it's time we start listening more to those who have uh, who have faced racial abuse and stop this down-talking of, well, you, you shouldn't... Why are you offended by that? You know, there's a lot of... There's a, people do a lot of talking, but there needs to be a lot more listening to those affected. And I'm hopeful, while I don't feel the boycott itself, of course, eradicated any sort of online abuse, we knew it wouldn't. However, it's, it's nice to see that, in, you know, a lot of people coming together, a lot of clubs just coming together and saying, no, this isn't on. We, you know, we don't want this in our game. And that that's something that I hope to some degree will perturb a, a few people from making comments. But, and we, uh, while the Metal Town Twitter obviously wasn't monitored over the four days, we didn't get any racial abuse, hopefully. Uh, we got a comment from a, a lad who, I think he's Twitter bias, he was 16 or whatever, who sent, um, I think he said something like, F Matlock, like that, because we haven't replied in like a day or so. And it's like, we need that sort of behaviour. <laughs> well, you know, it, it doesn't uh, really upset anyone. You know, some sort of online etiquette needs to be in place to show like, you know, everybody, it's not just a screen. Everybody behind those accounts is a person with feelings, with emotions, you know. And it's something that we just need 
to continue working together. We need to continue listening to people. We need to educate better. We need to, whether that be at school level, whether that be at any level, whether that be whether there needs to be more education in football when it comes to... That's a good point. There just needs to be more education because social, whether you like it or not, so social media is now such a big tool like of, of everyday life for a lot of people, you know, especially younger people. It, it's it's a key way now of, of communicating. And obviously because you're able to communicate with people that you've never met before, as well as people that you do know. And there has to be more education. It's got to be done like from as, as early as possible. So, you know, like when, you know, when we would have been in school and you had like, um, general studies classes or like um, PSC, personal social education. I mean, that, 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 I mean, at that time, I mean, a lot of it is it's not taught very well. Obviously, I haven't got a clue what it's taught like now, but you need to have stuff like that in these classes because that's your social education because you need to know because so many people use social media. You need, you need to be taught from, you know, as early as possible what is, that, what is unacceptable on on social media and stuff like that. And it needs to be drilled into people as to what's, what's good and, and, and what is absolutely not acceptable. So, um, so yeah, it, it needs to be taught within, within schools. There needs to be a, a higher onus on that because it, I don't think enough of enough is, is, is done on that at the moment. So um so yeah, there needs to be more education. Education's um, the key. I think it was like, I think it was Ian Wright that said um, he showed like some messages, like just like stuff I wouldn't possibly say ever. Not like not even in private. To someone it, like the language is disgusting that he got. You'll, you'll you'll obviously all know the kind of language that was used, but um, like Ian Wright showed. Um, you know, these comments and this, it, it was from a kid, you know, it's not a, 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 an adult. It was like a kid. It was like 14, 15 or something said all sorts of racist abuse to Ian Wright. And he said like, cause I think it went to like a trial or something like that. And basically not really anything happened to the kid. There weren't really any sort of punishment. And like they said to Ian Wright, you know, what what were you wanting? What what was the outcome? Like, were you wanting him to do, I don't know, some sort of sentence or something like that? And I think he said, like, no, there needs to be education. That's what I want. I want him to be educated and say, no, you, you, it's not right to be saying that. And, yeah, there just needs to be a higher onus on actually educating these people. I don't, when they're at that certain age, punishment probably isn't the key it's it's through a complete lack of education that they're sending these things and thinking it's fine to say need to be educated and you know it needs to go down that route I think but for people who are you know older than me and saying stuff like that and you know when their profile pictures like them and their kids that's the stuff I I I I, I don't understand how that happens. Like when you you know you're if you're in your forties or fifties, 
and saying, you know, all sorts of horrible crap. That that's the stuff that really beggars belief. Where it's like, what, what, why do, why are you doing this? That that's the stuff I really, really don't understand. I believe the incident you refer to in regards to the Kidinian right, from memory, that was brought on by the fact that um, the kid, I think it was playing EA Sports um, FIFA 21, and he was using Ian Wright's icon card in that game, so in the ultimate team mode, and something like the Ian Wright card, um, this kid didn't deem was playing well enough for him. So for some reason, he went, I know what I'll do. I'll go on social media and racially abuse someone. And it's like, the, the, the fact that even enters someone's mind shows that we need more education. But it's, again, as I say, me and Matt don't have all the answers. We're two white blokes. It's not for us to decree how to fix racism, how to, it's about listening. I'd love to have, um, a few of the Matt Little lads on from different backgrounds to, to talk about this topic. Um, hopefully, I hope in the future as well, we'll do a, a, a mental health podcast again, get Liam on, um, Liam Hughes, I should add, uh, as well, because I feel that is beneficial to a lot of people. But we've we've um, done a, quite a few heavy topics there, Matt. So I feel, I feel let's, let's slide over to... Something a little more tame, shall we? But yeah. something that could be as equally controversial in some well, circles as the European Super League. Well, just very quickly, obviously, we'd like to give, you know, breaking news as it happens. Um, as it stands, Rotherham are staying up, but it's really, really not looking good now for, well, I was going to say Derby County. Of course, the full name is Wayne Rooney's Derby County. Uh, then. <laughs> They're now losing three two to Sheffield Wednesday after uh, after being two or not. Uh, it sounds like an amazing game. Um, so yeah, as it stands, Derby and Wednesday are going down. They're relegating each other, and Wednesday aren't staying up because Rotherham is still winning, but they're only winning one nil. So <laughs> it could all change with about twenty five minutes to go. I'd like to add as well, Matt's views there about Derby County when Matt's views and Matt's views alone. So please don't send me any equity. Oh, what did I say? Oh, oh no, that, that's... He's, he's, only, he's only having a bit of fun. I'm, I'm, I'm only messing. It is, it, that is annoying, though, when, you know, like... Sorry, we're going off on the tangent again. When we wonder why the podcasts always go over an hour. Um, like, when Frank... When, when basically a high-profile Premier League or... High pro- yeah, high-profile Premier League player when they take over a club that isn't, you know, the elite. And it's always, it's not just Derby County, it's Wayne Rooney's Derby County or Frank Lampard's Derby County. It's like, it, it, that, fairness, that does my head in. <laughs> in fairness, I have no idea what you're on about. I mean, I'm a massive fan of Paul Phillips as Matlock Town, so. <laughs> but speaking of Paul Phillips as Matlock Town, we're going to do some shopping. Matt, do you like shopping? It depends what for. Well, today we're going to put our collective intellect together and we're going to look at Matlock Town's team from last season. As you're all aware, if you're not aware, it's on the website, on the squad pages. I want to know, Matt, between, between us, we're going to come up with three 
players, and we're not going to name names, but we're going to come up with three players' positions we feel Matt Lockdown could do with improvement on the most. Now, yeah, it's going to be difficult. It's good. So if you've listened this far, firstly, go and make yourself a break. You deserve it. Secondly, tell us what your thoughts are, what you'd like to see Paul Phillips bringing back Lockdown. Hopefully... I'll get the gaffer on the podcast when we're here again in two weeks' time. We'll we'll try and get some hot scoops from him. Some we'll send our news hounds in, see if we can find out any information. But for now, we'll start at number one. Matt, I'm going to put forward a suggestion of what I think Matt Lockdown need in this. Well, it's not an upcoming window because we don't have windows in the league. And I want you to either tell me if you agree or you disagree. If you disagree, I want you to put forward your own thought, why you feel another position should be improved. So I'll keep pressure on this. Oh, mate. I I spent at least two minutes thinking up in this segment. So, going to kick things off. Now, Matlock have a, a fantastic goalkeeper for Sean Rowley. Sweet Sean, because he makes the sweetest saves, of course. Oh. But, do you feel, given uh, Sean's the only goalkeeper on the books at the minute, that a backup goalkeeper would be beneficial to Matlock? Or do you feel that Matlock should continue running with one goalkeeper and then look to the loan market as and when needed? Uh, well, some would say Matlock already have a backup goalkeeper in Philo. But, uh, oh. Well, <laughs> oh. we'll have to hear from, uh, from, from the man himself as to... Uh, how prepared he would be to actually take part in a in a competitive game uh, of uh, of football, but uh, um, I think you've I think you've just fallen afoul of uh, the gaffer's wife there. She was not happy when he pulled on the gloves again. Apparently, he really. was, apparently he wasn't the most mobile the following day. All uh, oh, right, okay. Took he's a not lot out of it. He's not running around. Oh, oh. Goalkeepers Union's going to be after you, Darby County fan. <laughs> Matt woke up this morning and chose violence, ladies and gentlemen. Um, oh. it did a, it's a lot of diving, a lot of chucking yourself about being a goalkeeper. Well, uh, especially on some of the pitches that you have to play, uh, there'll be hard surfaces, won't they? Well, especially if it's, uh, you know, not uh, your plastic pitches that you're on as well. But... Um, I think you don't. I don't think you need a, like a second. I mean, I could be talking out my backside. So I might get a, a stern message off. You know, Wilde or Philo saying you don't know what you're talking about, which is true. But um, I, I don't like that all the time. <laughs> I don't think you need at that level anyway. Like, a, I mean, you might you might do. I might be talking wrong, but I don't think you need a second keeper like on a full time basis. So, like, I think at that level, especially, you know, if money's tight, which 
I imagine it will be, especially at this time. Um, sorry, just keep keep seeing goal. This is an amazing final day of the championship. We'll come to that in a minute. Uh, I don't think you need a second full-time goalkeeper. I think if Sean Rowley were to be suspended or he gets injured for a bit, it, it's, you know, I think it's then easy enough, I would imagine, uh, to just get a, a, a keeper in on some sort of emergency loan deal. So I think you don't, you don't need to have that, that second full-time keeper because I think as well, it just saves up, I'd imagine, on costs of the club. So I don't think you'd need a, a second full-time. I think you, you you should be all right to rely on a loan deal if uh, if uh, if Rowley gets suspended or gets gets an injury. I mean, I, I think, you, you know, you've put forward a good case there. Um, it's one of them. Do, uh, I've, you know, I've worked under managers who in the past feel uh, having a sub-goalkeeper on the bench is a must because you never know when crazy things happen in football. You know, you never know when the referee's going to throw a wobble one day or something's going to happen, something mad. Now, it makes me wonder, and we'll have to ask Phil at this, if there's anybody in that Matlock Town side, if said, you know, Sean was injured, God forbid, or... He got suspended or whatever, was sent off. Is there a Matlock Town outfield player who would feel comfortable donning the gloves? Now, I wrap my brain momentarily, and there is one man I feel who would do a job in goal as an outfield player. That man's Ryan Coulter, because I think he would just head everything away. Thus, he would not need to use his hands. So maybe, maybe that. Maybe there is a secret second goalkeeper in the club that we don't know about. So that'd be interesting. Now, position two, Matt, and it's your turn now. Where do you feel that Matlock Town needs to bring in bodies? Which area of the pitch are you going to? Um, I will say I don't think anywhere in defence because I'm liking I'm liking the defence now solid that was so maybe have a look at uh, a creative more creative sort of thinking midfielder maybe for me uh, so we've got some solid um, options in midfield sort of like in the engine room like Spencer Harris and um Deck Walker, Mark Lees, but maybe have a look at someone as like a more creative side of midfielder. No, we've got Callum Chippendale, but maybe someone of that ilk to uh, boost the strike force for some more service to uh, Liam Hughes and Ross Hanna. I'll probably go for that. Now, I feel, especially with Chippy, we... We sort of didn't see his best work because he picked up an injury, I believe, in the Tamworth friendly. But I know for Buxton, when he was with them, he was a big player for them. So it makes me wonder whether he would step into that role, whether he would feel accustomed there, whether he would make that role his own. So it's it's an interesting one. I mean, 
in the past, we would have sat here and gone, right, Matt will need about eight, nine players. We're looking at it now. Uh, as we talk about it, you, you're assessing the squad. It's probably only need three or four. And that's that's the crazy thing. We've, it, we've come a long way in a short time. So, I mean, I wouldn't be against seeing another creative midfielder come in. I think, you, you know, you've got some especially good wingers in there with the, your likes, your Alex Byrne and players of that ilk. I, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I know um, the Gaffer tried a few things with the up top. Of course, we had Chip Chilacker up there at points. We had Andrew Johnson up there at points. I believe he's tried Callum Dolan up there at points. Um, with the Ross Hanna signing, and as well, you know, whether that was something that I know Liam wanted to get. Um, Ross back to the club. He was somebody who he felt he could build up a good partnership with on the pitch. So it'd be interesting there. But I want to add, there, there is the X factor, of course, of Craig Carby, who signed from Warrington. He's yet to play an official competitive game for Matlock. Uh, hopefully, we'll have a Scott Sefton situation where sides, pandemic, never plays and leaves. That was due to, I believe, his partner being pregnant at the time, um, which is understandable. Um, things happen in football. Um, you know, always good to see somebody putting the family first, of course. So that midfield, there's going to be competition there. So bringing in another midfielder would be an interesting choice, but I'm not against it. And it would be very interesting whether the gaffer does bring in another player. Because I think engine room, like you say, was sources for. Uh, I am a, a big um, Mark Lee's fan, as everybody knows. Um, as they call him, the White County. Fantastic player. So I think going forward... That would be an interesting choice. Now, on to my second choice. I think I would like to see Matlock recruit another forward. I I think now, as you say, Liam Hughes, he's somebody who, there were a little doubt when he came in, he's like, he's not traditionally been a striker. But the man Mountain has he stepped up and, you know, can you imagine having to mark him for 90 minutes? Because he's not, you know, your traditional big man in football. He just wants the ball given to him. He don't want to move. Liam, he's all over the shot. He's not afraid to drop deep. His hold-up play is fantastic. And now with Ross alongside him, that could be a tantalising forward duo. However, I believe yeah. it's important at Matlock's level to have three good strikers that you could chop and change as and when needed because you play a lot of games. You play your cup games. You, you play league games. You can end up playing nearly 60 games a season if you do well in, say, cups. Now, I would like, and it would be very interesting, Ben Edgerton, 
whether he stays or not, we don't know. I know, or whether he's sent out alone again. Um, I think he was having a fruitful time down at New Mills. So it'd be interesting if that carries on once um, football returns. Um, I think, I, I, I mean, I don't see Andre Johnson being in the gaffer's plans personally. But that, that, again, is just my opinion. So I feel bringing in a striker who is capable of stepping up, coming in, challenging Ross, challenging Liam, I think that would be a good thing. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I think so. I think there needs to be a little bit more competition. It's obviously not going to be able to rely on Hughes and Hannah, you know, throughout the season uh, without them obviously with the amount of games that you'd be playing in a short space of time especially if they're doing well in uh, a cup competition or a couple of them too so yeah it probably needs to be a little bit more competition up there Um, I don't know from my opinion I don't think like someone like Ben Edgson will probably be in the sort of first team plans I don't think but I uh, don't know, maybe wrong. But um, yeah, I'd probably uh, invest in someone else at least to uh, provide a bit more uh, competition. Uh, so yeah, obviously Kate Coppin plays up front, doesn't he? Uh, not seen that much of him actually on the pitch. But, uh, but yeah, I'd probably like to see a bit more competition uh, up front as well. Um, so you got your strength, haven't you, in players like Hughes and... Uh, Hughes and Hannah, so maybe someone with uh, pace as their main weapon. That might be pretty good, so I'd be down for that. I think, like you say, uh, talking about Cade, I think a lot of people forget he's he's only in his early 30s, but it'll be whether he wants to continue twinning that um, playing role with the coaching role. He's, he's definitely very much able to do so. He's a very physically fit bloke. So... It'd be interesting whether the gaffer sees him more as a striker or more of a winger, because he's adapted at both. So I do feel that's a, that's a good point raised, though. Um, so it'd be interesting. I think that front line, it's nice to go into a season, and it's, it's will forever bonkers to me. <sighs> About 10 years to the day, going, oh, yeah, we've got Ross Adder next season. You know, I hope... That Ross comes in, and I hope our supporters are realistic in the way to be saying, "Oh, I expect him to score fifty odd goals again." It, it that's huge pressure. But if he can come in, if he can bag, you know, fifteen twenty goals, if Hughesy can bag fifteen twenty goals, whoever the third striker can chip in with ten to fifteen, having that in your arsenal would be fantastic. So, Matt, it's your second choice. I'll hand the reins over to you once more. Um, trying to think. Uh, I'm not honestly sure if I'd make too many more changes, to be honest, because I quite like the team that we had, the, the, the squad that Matt Locke had last season. So... I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it actually make that many more changes. And I know that there's not going to be too many changes from what Phil has said, like over this summer. So, uh, 
I mean, I, I'd agree with you. I probably would, you know, have a bit more competition up front. So, you know, I, I would that would that would be something I'd like as well. I don't think I would have any more changes to make. Ooh. I apologise. Well, you know, I hate to agree with you, but I'm there. Maybe an extra centre back in. In sort of a, a lonely centre-back in the Jake Hall sort of He cropped mold. up, actually, on my social media feed. I think he was part of some youth team, maybe, that did something quite good. I did see his name crop up. He was a, a really useful player of the little that I saw of him, Jake Hall. So, yeah, someone of that ilk would be quite good, yeah. You can't tell me you only saw a little of Jake Hall. He's well, yeah, he's about six man. foot four. Yeah, he's a, he's a big, big lad. But uh, yeah, he was good. He was useful. I liked him. Yeah, six foot four. And I'll tell you that one of these things I've always noticed, you meet these players and you look at the huge lads, you know, and you think, oh man, like, he, he could, like, if he wanted to get into a scrap with me, he'd easily be able to beat me up. Yeah, a lot of the times, these six-foot lads, they're absolute sweethearts. They're the loveliest of people. So, and Jake was like that. Jake, Liam, a lot like it. I believe that, talking about Jake, he recently signed a new deal with Rotherham United. So, he said, oh, congratulations to him on that. Um, he's somebody who I think has a lot of promise. So, and I think he was a good asset for that lot. Um I remember him coming in for a game against Grantham and he didn't look out of place. He um, looked very capable. Um, I, I mean, it must help a lot when you've got your, you know, Ryan Coulter, Sam Edgerton, um, Adam Yates, those sort of players around you to sort of give you that experience. And, you know, Ryan Coulter and Yatesy, they're the both so experienced, and Sam as well, so experienced at this level that, <clears throat> pardon me, that they know the ropes. So maybe we'll, you know, we'll see the gaffer dip into the loan market. It'll be interesting if that happens. But I, I agree. I think for, I think for what he's got, maybe another winger, if I'm being like, Picky. You know, picky, and I'm like, I'm really pushing, like, you know, I want the squad to push on because I do feel it's going to be that league's only getting tougher year on year. So it's going to be very interesting. A lot of clubs signing players, of course, already. Matlock, notorious for not showing their hands till later on in the summer. That doesn't mean they've not signed players, but um, Paul and Wildy are very much like to keep the cards close to their chest, which is totally understandable. So it'll be interesting on that regard. But I, I feel like you say, Matt, that there is squad-wise maybe two to three, three to four changes, and that's looking pretty strong rolling into the new season. Yep. I, I, yeah, like Philo said, I, I just don't think it needs to be. It doesn't need to be another summer where there has to be like a mass amount of change. I don't. I don't think it's warranted this time around. It doesn't need to happen. So I think, like you said, there'll be about maybe three, 
three or four sort of like people in and people out. But I don't think it'd be any more than that. I don't think it needs to be. Well then, with that, ladies and gentlemen, we shall close today's proceedings. We'll finish things off with, you've been listening to Matthew Rhodes, of course. Matt, tell the people where they can find you in the online world of social media. And do you have any upcoming articles, projects, etc. to plug? Um, well, you can find me on at Matlock Rhodes on Twitter. Um, I've got, uh, well, actually, before this podcast, I interviewed um, a Sheffield FC supporter. Uh, that's for, for the love of the game. Uh, that's for the June edition. That'll be out early next month. That's all about their new stadium um, that they're moving to. Um, in Well, won't be this year, but uh, maybe the year after that, because uh, they're moving back to Sheffield from Dromfield. Um, so, yeah, interviewed him. And there'll also be an interview with uh, Sheffield's chairman as well. I think his name's Richard Timms. Uh, that'll be happening on Tuesday. So, yeah, um, keep an eye out for that. I think that's the only other thing I've just got going at the moment. I think it's just right. that. Still busy, though. Still busy, oh, even, yeah. even in these times. Um, I'd, I'd say, are you going to partake in the sampling of any local ale at your local establishment? However, I've just looked out of my window and it appears monsoon season has broken out. So... I think it'll be a, a brew, a slice of toast, and a, a sit down to recover from this podcast. Um, you can find me at the Matlock Fan on social media uh, if you want to. If you don't, then don't. You can find Matlock Town at Matlock underscore Town FC on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us. All over the place, really. We get about. Um, check out the online store. There is online exclusive items, which is exciting in itself. Um, I, I believe there's more stuff coming on there, so keep an eye out. Um, and thank you for listening. Uh, we'll wrap things up. Thank you, Matt, for your time. Just, just as the final thing uh, we can confirm, oh, it's oh. just happened now. That uh, well, Rotherham are down, and oh. they only needed to hold out for two more minutes, and they would have stayed up because uh, Wednesday and Derby they ended up lasting. I think he had about six minutes of stoppage time. That finished three all. So Wednesday are down, and uh, Derby have stayed up just, 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 just. But it does mean that if Rotherham had held on to their 1-0 lead, because they conceded in the 88th minute, if they'd have actually held on, Rotherham would have stayed up. <laughs> and and that, not... that, ladies and gentlemen, is why I love football. And that is why I'm so excited for when Matt Lockdown returns. And it's perfect way to end the podcast. Thank you for your time, Matt. Yep. I'll uh, yeah, speak to you soon. You shall. Thank you for listening, everyone. Give some really nice reviews if you don't mind. Thank you for ACAS for posting this. You can find us on Spotify, Amazon Music. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on YouTube, MTFC TV. And we shall see you in two weeks' time. Thank you very much. Bye, mate.